you so much for having me. Um, it's been a year and a half since I have preached. <laughs> so I just pray that um, whatever happens this morning, uh, God loves you through these words. <laughs> um, so I'm pleased to talk to you this morning about the topic of hospitality. Um, the word that is most commonly translated as hospitality in the New Testament is this one up here, philokasenia. Um, Sinos or xenos, the word for stranger here, is the same word we use for xenophobia. Um, it has the connotation of foreigner, um, someone from another country, but it also means anyone whose ways we don't know very well. So I want us to think, when we talk about loving the stranger, I'm going to use that phrase as I talk about hospitality. When we talk about loving the stranger, um, I want us to think not just about people who we've never met before, but people in our lives. Oh, did I say, philokasenia means love of stranger. I think I may have missed that part. <laughs> Philo is love, sinos is stranger. That's what Jesus means when he says hospitality. Um, so when we talk about loving the stranger, I want us to think not just about people who we've never met before, but anyone who is different from us, anyone already in our lives who's different from us. We're going to explore today how paying loving attention to strangers in our lives creates joy for us and can also act as a balm in the midst of a violent world. And we're going to explore how God brings strangers to us in our time of need, the way that Mark so eloquently, you know, reinterpreted that passage for us. God brings strangers to us in our times of need and how recognizing and receiving that hospitality makes God's love more visible in the world. All right, so let's first talk about our context. This story is set on the road between Jerusalem and Jericho, which was a famously treacherous path. This is a modern-day picture. This was taken in April this year. Um, so you get an idea of the rocky landscape, how narrow this road is even now. There are sort of rocky overhangs and outcrops, which are hiding places for people who would seek to attack travelers on the road. And as this is our context, I want to mention that this road is located in what is now West Bank, this is a Palestinian territory, uh, which along with Gaza, um, has been contested land between Israel and Palestine for decades, and over the last week has been a site of unspeakable violence. Jesus is no stranger to violence. The hospitality that Jesus invites us to enter into is not in the context of pristine homes, but the context of the presence of violence, then and now. The man at the center of the Good Samaritan story that we're looking at has been attacked. No one stopped it. He wasn't rescued out of the hands of robbers. He endured trauma, but he also received love. When we think about giving and receiving hospitality, I want us to remember this is in the context of abuse and injustice in the world. The kind of hospitality that God invites us into does not prevent evil. It exists alongside it. 
there's an undercurrent of God's love living alongside the reality of violence in our world. We are invited to participate in it, both by giving and receiving hospitality. And through hospitality, we both receive and we can even become a balm of love in this violent world. All right. We do not always, however, heed the invitation to participate in God's hospitality. There are strangers who we've encountered on the roads of our own lives whom we've walked past. And unfortunately, the ones we love and count on don't always heed that invitation either. I actually think Jesus is describing another kind of violence when he describes the actions of the priest and the temple assistant on top of the abuse that the man has already endured. We'll call this the violence of inattention. This is also a reality of our world. Sometimes in the midst of danger or in a time of need, the ones we count on most desert us. For those of you who have experienced this, you will know that sometimes the response or lack of response that people close to you have to your pain can wound deeply. Whenever we see a stranger in need, we have the choice. Do we compound violence by walking past, or do we counteract the violence by responding in hospitality? I think the key difference between the Samaritan's response and the response of the priest and the temple assistant is how much attention and room in their heart they give to this man. All three people see him, but only one of them sees and draws near. So what does it mean for us to see and draw near to the strangers in our lives? I think one response to violence that is always available to us is prayer. And thank you, Eunice, for offering prayer in the midst of violence in our world this morning. Thank you for that leadership. Eunice was able to find some beautiful words, drawing on the words of uh, Tanya, the indigenous leader. But so many times, especially in overwhelming violence like war, our words fall flat. There's a Quaker prayer practice that I really like, um, which is called um, holding someone in the light of God. It just involves kind of silently putting your attention on someone in the conscious presence of God and just lifting them up into this overarching love. My husband and I used to live on the border of Myanmar, and when the current war broke out there two years ago, we started the practice of sometimes uh, at dinner, lighting a candle at our evening meal to entrust to God our wordless hopes for peace in that place. The next way to see and draw near to a stranger in need is to offer practical care. The most common way that Jesus talks about hospitality in the Gospels is through very practical, physical things. Um, a cup of water, a place to stay, a meal. This is what we talked about at communion today. At the most basic level, this is the heart of hospitality, caring for a stranger's physical needs as though they were members of your own family. 
A third way to offer attentive and loving care is to learn about systemic inequality that fuels the violence in our world. Poverty, racism, exploitation. This requires listening to people who are most affected by these issues. For 80% of Indigenous Australians, yesterday's referendum result uh, was a blow. I think it would be good for us to seek out, continue to seek out, we, I can tell that this church has already done it, but continue to seek out indigenous voices to learn about how the rejection of the voice impacts on them, which may be different for different people. But right now, many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, many of whom have already been wounded by inequalities in the healthcare system, inequities in incarceration rates, many compounded traumas, they may feel left by the side of the road after this vote. So we have the opportunity to come close, even it's, if it's through learning, calling, drawing our attention through reading more. And a fourth way, final way to draw close to a stranger is through friendship. I think this is at the core of what it means to jump into the waters of God's love that exist in our violent world. We can choose to extend genuine friendship to a stranger, even the neediest stranger. This is both the gift we are invited to offer and it's the reward for us. When we choose to make ourselves available in friendship, in listening in love to a stranger, we're on our way to genuine joy. Now, I want to tell you a story. When I lived in Thailand, I had a neighbor named Lek. This is a picture of us. Uh, Lek was my age. She was living with her mom. And when I first met her, she was experiencing frequent psychotic episodes, often in the middle of the night. She would come out of her house very upset and yelling uh, at someone who um, only existed in her mind. Now, uh, I have an Uncle Mike who lived with schizophrenia, and I know from his experience that it can be treated well with the right medication. So over the next few months, I reached out to her mother and sister and a local hospital um, to help get her into a treatment program. And because I helped initiate the treatment, I felt like it was my responsibility to research a little bit about how to support her when she returned from the hospital. I knew um, I wanted to try to go with her for her monthly follow-up appointments. And all the research I did said that social inclusion is very important um, for people who are recovering. So I made two commitments. First, I thought, uh, that when I walked from our, my house to the local 7-Eleven, which I did at least once a week, which is a convenience store if you don't know it, um, I thought I'd ask her if she would wanna walk with me. So that was a regular commitment I made. And then the next was if I was watching TV in the late afternoon, early evening, I'd invite her to come and watch TV with me. So after doing this a couple of months, I noticed that she, more than a lot of other people in my life, um, was remembering what I told her and asking follow-up questions about different areas of my life. And not only was she thoughtful in this way, she was also really funny. So I started to notice, hey, I really like this person. She's become a really good friend to me. In fact, one of my closest friends. So I started to really look forward to our times together. After we'd been friends for about a year and a half, 
I hit a really busy time. I was forgetting things left and right. And one day I was sitting um, with my laptop next to my open window, trying to get some work done before an overseas trip. And Lex stopped by and like popped her head in the window and said, Lexi, uh, I've got my monthly doctor's appointment tomorrow. Um, would you like to come with me? And I was like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that. Yes, thank you for reminding me, I'll be there. And she just looked at me and sort of laughed and said, Lexi, I'm not reminding you, I'm inviting you. And that's always stuck with me as a moment of clarity about how God works. The invitation to love the strangers in our lives is an invitation to friendship and to joy. It's not a, a reminder of our duty. All right, now I'd like to turn our attention to what happens when we find ourselves the victims of mistreatment or betrayal along the treacherous roads of our own lives. The man at the center of the Good Samaritan passage has experienced the trauma of physical attack and theft, compounded by the abandonment of not one but two religious leaders. For anyone who has been through the experience of religion letting you down, you know that it is a profoundly dismaying and disorienting experience. The man must be asking, where is God? The answer Jesus offers is one he offers over and over again. You will not always find God where you expect to find God. Instead, God's love is often revealed through unexpected people. In this story, Jesus describes a Samaritan as the giver of care, attention, and nourishment to help this stranger on the road. Samaritans were cultural enemies of the Jewish people. Just prior to this, in Luke 9, Jesus himself had been rejected by a whole Samaritan village. It says uh, they did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem, and there was a dispute between the Samaritans and the Jews about where was the actual place to worship, Jerusalem or this other mountain. And because Jesus and his disciples were travelers, like um, Mark alluded to earlier, they were dependent on the hospitality of strangers. So this rejection by the Samaritan village would likely have left them uh, homeless for the night without a place to sleep. However, Jesus knows that the Samaritans, even though they've just rejected him, they are capable of participating in and even extending God's love. The key question to the listeners is, are we going to be able to recognize it? Are we going to be able to receive the love of God when it comes from an unexpected person? I came to Australia eight years ago with my husband uh, after we'd been in, I'd been in Thailand for seven years, he'd been there for 11. And when we decided to leave, it was a tough move for us. We'd been through some very difficult years there and we were carrying some spiritual and emotional wounds. Moving was a choice to try to make space for ourselves and for the bigger theological questions that had been raised in the midst of our struggles. And we chose to come to Australia in part because we thought we would have a good support network here. Since my husband grew up here, I knew he'd be going back to some of his childhood friendships. 
And I trusted in the strength of my long-term, long-distance friendships, um, as well as in some people who we knew through they had been volunteers with our mission organization, and they'd offered to help us out when we got here. And I felt pretty confident in my ability to make new friends in Australia. So we made the difficult choice to come here, not knowing what work or finances or community we would find. So this was sort of the treacherous road we were embarking on. Um, and I found it very difficult. <laughs> I began working as a chaplain in a local primary school, and I embarked on a study program at the University of Divinity. I expected both of these places, the school and the um, theological college, to be full of potential friends for me, but I found it really tough to move past small talk in either work or my study program. And a few things happened in my existing connections. I had a friendship breakdown with my best friend of many years, someone in America who I used to text with daily. Um, and both my husband and I felt really let down by those volunteers from our mission group. Um, they sort of ghosted us and became uncontactable after offering care. Um, the people that I expected to be there for me just weren't. So I felt very isolated in a new country and I felt like I didn't have anyone to process the pain of what I'd um, been through in recent years. After being in Australia for about nine months, I visited a friend's church and during a time of worship, the story of the Good Samaritan came into my mind as the worship song was playing. And on this day, I felt like that man by the side of the road. I imagined my spiritual and emotional wounds as like physical wounds, and I saw myself lying by the side of the road. In my mind's eye, I saw my best friend look at me and pass by on the other side. I saw those volunteers from our mission group look at me and pass by on the other side. I was really hurting. And then the question came to me, well, who is God sending to bandage my wounds? And instantly, I thought first of my mother-in-law, who we lived with for the first five months after arriving in Australia. Hosting two people in her small unit was a big and challenging adjustment for all of us. My mother-in-law is British and reserved and incredibly organized, and I am a chaotic, loud American. We are very different people, but the practical care and love she showed us during this time was deeply needed. And I hadn't realized before how healing and necessary her love had been for me. I thought next about a coworker of mine at the primary school where I worked, Ritu. I'd expected to make friends with people who were similar to me in terms of background or life stage. At the time, I was in my early 30s with no kids. And Ritu was a Hindu woman about a decade older than me with a teenager and a younger daughter. She was one of those people with the gift of eye contact, which she gave generously. She was one of the only people at work to ask me deeper questions about um, my motivations in this chaplaincy role, and she shared with me first some of her you know, deeper work motivations and then some of her life motivations. And um, she was the, really the only person that if she saw me in the lunchroom at work, 
she would move over and make space for me at her table. I realized that her kindness and attention, too, had been a healing balm. I thought next of my next-door neighbor, Rajneesh. Uh, when we left my mother-in-law's house, we moved into a rental unit in Noble Park, and that unit shared a wall with Rajneesh and her husband. She was a devout Sikh woman who, at that point, was more comfortable in Punjabi than in English. But we quickly discovered that we had a lot of values in common. She was working as an aged care worker at a hospice unit, and she started telling me stories about what she experienced to be the sacredness of being with people in their last days on earth. And I just felt like the depth, the spiritual depth of those conversations um, was like water to my soul. She started inviting me over for uh, celebration times at her house, which were a little awkward for me. They were filled with her other Sikh friends, and a lot of it was in Punjabi and involved a lot of customs that I had no idea what was going on. Um, but I knew and was starting to really take some joy in this emerging friendship with Rajneesh. She had even recently at that point uh, lent me her car when mine had broken down. So I felt so grateful for this unexpected and genuine and mutual friendship. And as I considered the care of these three very different women, in big ways, like my mother-in-law sharing her home for five months, or in small ways, like eye contact, I felt for the first time in a long time that I really experienced the care of God. I felt as though I may have been left by my other friends, but I was not left alone. So as the parable of the Good Samaritan makes clear, and thank God for this, we as religious people are not the sole gatekeepers of God's love. We are not carrying God's love around privately to bestow or not bestow on needy people. God's love exists already, always bubbling in the midst of our violent world. Sometimes we, as religious people, miss it entirely. I very, very nearly missed it by not recognizing or fully receiving the love that was being offered to me by these three women on my journey. But by becoming a vulnerable neighbor who receives love, especially from a stranger, I believe the visibility of God's love in the world became magnified. And when we are able to stretch beyond social barriers to give love to the strangers in our lives, maybe even becoming friends, that also amplifies God's love in the world. Whenever love is given and received, the Holy Spirit comes and tabernacles in between. This is a dynamic and sacred thing that happens in relationship. The giving and receiving of hospitality opens the door for us to participate in this current of God's love, which is always bubbling away in the midst of the treacherous roads we all walk. So let's take a moment to consider how can we say yes to the gift of hospitality available to us today. We're going to move into a time of reflection. Um, I've put three questions up here. The first is for us to consider, what are the treacherous roads that you are walking at the moment? Are there ways you may have felt betrayed by people whom you expected to help you? 
Secondly, who are the unexpected people God has sent to care for you? Ask God to reveal these people to you. Thirdly, who are the strangers God is asking you to extend love to? Are there practical ways you can care or extend friendship? Perhaps God is inviting you to commit to praying or learning more. Let's prayerfully consider what God's invitation to us this morning might be. Thank you.